it's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash grad admissions. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for limited time while supplies last. Welcome to Healing with Dr. George, The Power of Chicano Latinx Art. This is a podcast that explores the themes of self and community healing, whether as an artist, curator, collector, or admirer. I am your host, Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a Chicano clinical psychologist with a passion for promoting and preserving Chicano Latinx art. I'm working in conjunction with our partners at www.latinoarte.com an online marketplace that showcases and promotes the work of Chicano Latinx artists throughout the United States. Our guests for the podcast will include celebrated artists, collectors, curators, and influencers who will share their experiences and perspectives on Chicano Latinx art as we explore the themes of self and community healing through Chicano Latinx art. Our guest for today is Mark Roberts. Mark has been in the entertainment business for over 30 years. He is a first-generation Mexican-American film and television producer with a passion for telling edgy stories that give voice to diverse groups. Mark has teamed up with Mario Lopez to produce series for Netflix and Lifetime Television. His film work includes Water and Power. He was also responsible for Strangers with Candy, the movie, which was an official selection of the Sundance Film Festival in 2005. Early in his career, Mark launched Roberts David Films with producer-director Lorena David and produced over a dozen films. Prior to that, he built a casting company for television and film series, specials, and live events. Most recently, Mark completed a documentary about the life of painter-activist Carlos Almaraz called Carlos Almaraz Playing with Fire, which is available on Netflix. Mark is also the host of Let's Get Into It, a podcast which focuses on the film and television business. Mark and his co-hosts interview industry pros and explore their journey from humble beginnings to the highest levels of the film and television business. Welcome, Mark Roberts. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your early history? Thank you, Lowell. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. It's kind of cool what you're up to. I uh, love talking about, you know, um, uh, about my upbringing and my Chicano uh, roots. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I mean, um, I come, you know, the, my mom and my dad, the Hildemontes, um, you know, they come from Mexico. They, they're, they're from Guadalajara. I have uh, a brother and uh, I'm sorry, I have a sister and four brothers. Uh, they were all born in Mexico and I was born here in, in the U.S. 
Um, so it's an interesting family dynamic. You know, those guys lived in uh, Guadalajara most of their lives, you know, up until they were about, I don't know, my oldest brother's Eddie. He was probably there till he was 17. And my youngest, uh, Rick, um, and Honey's also 17. They're like about the same age. They were about the same age. And my my youngest brother was like 10. So they they had a really good uh, understanding of what it was to live in Mexico and 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 have that whole uh, family unit, you know, um, and all the traditions that came with it. So, um, but yeah, I was uh, I was then later born in East Los Angeles. I think I was a mistake. Um, no one t- no one will tell me that for sure, but. Uh, I think I was a mistake, and uh, and I was born here. And you know, I think the first, I was born in White Memorial, which I th- I don't even know if it's still there anymore. It was it was it used to be on Whittier Boulevard or something like that. But uh, but yeah, I was born in East Los Angeles. I think uh, the first place I lived was on Evergreen, right there near uh, uh, El Tepeyac, <laughs> which which I've been to a couple of times, and. Um, and yeah, I grew up and I went to, you know, I went to Catholic school and then I went to Eastmont, then I went to Shore High School. Amazing. And uh, how did you get exposed to the film and entertainment industry? Well, you know, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, it's um, it's interesting because I think I think I wasn't a very good student. You know, I didn't have uh, I don't know. I, I my brothers were all older. My dad died when I was six. So as a result, you know, they had this, I had this great family unit, but, you know, they had already sort of, they were grown up, you know, so they had moved on. I think my brother Victor and my brother Eddie were married. My, my sister Hani was married. Alejandra, let me use her proper name. Um, but, you know, so I was kind of on my own and I, I didn't have, you know, these guys were all educated. They all went to college. They all graduated. I think Robert may have a doctor's degree, like, or a couple of masters. Robert Hildemontes and my brother Victor, you know, graduated, became a teacher. My brother Rick graduated, became a teacher. You know, all these guys were highly educated guys. But I uh, I didn't get access to that, I don't think, when I was a kid or I wasn't interested. There's, you know, I don't want to put it all on them. But I just was not a very good student. So I, uh, I think I used to daydream a lot and I used to think about, you know, it's possible I was thinking like, what's the easiest job I can do? You know, something I can make money at and also be special. Um, and I always thought about show business. I watched a lot of television when I was a kid. I used to go to the Garmar Theater on Whittier Boulevard. You know, that was that was when there was no multiplex, right? So you didn't have like four, you didn't have 18 movies to pick from. You had like one, uh, and, and it was actually a double feature. So it was like all, you know, you'd have, you had, you had a grease and then you had whatever the shitty movie was coming up, right? So I would, you know, we would show up, I would show up, every, you know, I, what was it, 50 cents, uh, 75 cents to go to the movies and you can get popcorn and all kinds of stuff for like another buck. So, you know, I'd spend my summers watching the same movie over and over and over again. And it, it didn't even matter, you know, like it, people care so much about when movies start now. Um, like back then, it didn't matter. Like you'd walk in and whatever, where, wherever the movie was, you'd start watching it. And if it was in the middle of the movie you wanted to see, which in my case was Grease this big summer, right? Uh, I'd watch half of Grease, the whole next movie, and the beginning of Grease again to kind of mash it up. So it did, you know, it didn't matter as much. But I watched a lot of movies. I daydreamed a lot. I thought of, I played the piano. Um, I, uh, I had a lot of, uh, ideas of, you know, how could I have fun in my life? And I think entertainment uh, was always sort of in the forefront of my mind. And 
um, I don't know, I always had like weird aspirations of being on television or, you know, I think Little House on the Prairie was probably pretty big when I was a kid, the Brady Bunch, you know, things, uh, uh, what, what else was there? There was there, everything, Laverne and Shirley. I mean, there was so much, it was an interesting time. So, you know, I, I used to also watch a lot of PBS. So I think I, I got inspired by the idea that, you know, um, television and film was an outlet for me as a kid in East Los Angeles and I'd watch movies and be inspired by the characters and maybe not so much the storytelling because I didn't know what that was yet. But I definitely, you know, I I would watch it and I think, you know, entertainment could be for me. <laughs> Looks easy. <laughs> Looks fun. What were your first steps into the media industry? Um, I, you know, it's funny. <laughs> That's a great question. I, um, because I came a long way, right? So I, I, I'm in East Los Angeles living on Saybrook Boulevard right next to, you know, Whittier, between Whittier and Garfield. And it was a long way from Hollywood, you know, and I didn't have any entertainment friends. Um, I had a buddy like when I was in intermediate school that was, you know, I would, I would, I would watch Fantasy Island and I'd be like, oh my God, there's Alfredo. And I'd be like, and I'd want to find out how do I, how I, how do I get on TV? And I'd talk to Alfredo the next day, and he wouldn't tell me because it was a secret. Because you know, he was he was he was living the high life as a as an actor. He didn't want competition for all that. Yeah, well, it was very Mexican of him to not tell me, right? Like everyone else shares their information, but you know, us Mexicans are like, no, no, I'm not going to tell you because I might mess up my opportunities. But. Um, Eventually, you know, when I was about 16, I got, when I was in high school, I, I started singing in the choir. I, uh, I was in a play, a couple of, a few plays, actually, every, every musical that they had, I was in. So then I started to think, you know, what is the best, easiest way for me to make my way into Hollywood? You know, I, it's weird. I think to a certain extent, being Mexican American gave me this license to dream. Uh, in a way that didn't have any boundaries. Because I always think about, like, what made me think I was going to drive down the freeway and get into Hollywood? Like, it makes no sense, right? It's ridiculous to think that that's as easy as it was going to be. But I didn't have any boundaries, you know, in a way, because I, I don't know, I my mom didn't create any for me. And, uh, and I think, you know, you grow up in an atmosphere where everyone's sort of telling you you're not going to be much anyway, right? Everyone's always everywhere you go, you're like you're not better than me. You're not, you know, I'm I'm better than you. You know, constantly being bullied in East Los Angeles. So, you, I think I survived it easily, and I just sort of kept dreaming about this Hollywood idea. So, long story short, I decided when I was about 17, I was still in high school, that I was going to try to figure out how Alfredo got into show business, right? So the only avenue I had was to open, I started, I, there was this huge phone book. Remember you used to get those huge phone books from the, from the phone company? It was like the yellow pages, right? But the other piece of it was there was half of it, or a third of it was the white pages, which had people's phone numbers in it, right? So I started looking through it one day when I was 17, and I found, I'm not kidding, there was a page in the E's that said extras casting, like literally said those words in the ease on the white pages. So I picked up the phone and, you know, rotary dial, and I picked up the phone and I dialed this extras casting number. 
And I, I remember, like it was yesterday, they, they, there was a machine that answered, and it said, hi, you've reached, and I can't remember the name of the casting company, you've reached complete casting, and we are casting a Dodger game for the movie, and then they would name the movie, we need 1,000 people to fill Dodger Stadium on, you know, Friday, the whatever it was, please call back uh, on Friday between 4 and eight and you know and give us your name whatever so um so i was i hung up you know and i was fascinated by the just the message itself right i was like i found like this phone that leads me directly to hollywood it's unbelievable it's like i would call it every day and every day it was a new movie oh we're casting this movie call we're looking for these guys call you right so when i turned 18 I continued calling that line, and one day, and the most bizarre thing happened, they answered. It usually was a machine telling me what they were casting and when to call back. I called at such a time that they answered the phone and said, hi, what's your name? And I said, Mark Montes. And they were like, oh, uh, how old are you? I said, 18. They're like, perfect. Can you be in Moore Park at... 3 p.m. in the afternoon on Thursday, we have a job that's going to work for two weeks. You'll be working all nights. It's this movie called Best of Times with Robin Williams and uh, Kurt, uh, God, what was the, guy, the guy's name? Uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt Russell. And I couldn't believe it, right? So I, was, I immediately called two of my friends and said, you guys have to call this number right now. Right. And they all they called the number and they got on the show, too. So then we all drove to Moore Park for two weeks, worked all night, got paid like 80 bucks in cash every morning. And we were like football players on uh, in the, on the sidelines. So the long story of it really is that I sort of stuck with this phone number I found in the white pages that said extras casting that eventually got me to me being 18, getting on best of times for two weeks. In that two-week period, I met so many people that were willing to go like, oh, call this other number or here's this other company, you know, uh, so much so that I ended up um, I ended up doing, you know, kind of a lot of that kind of work for a while. And I, and I got and, you know, I would I, I, a lot, I would ask directors and assistant directors and people that I was on, you know, on every movie I worked on, I worked on. God, I think I was on. I did the Karate Kid as an extra. I did. um I did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, as an extra. I did all these kind of cool films um, as an extra. And I got my SAG card and, you know, all these great things happened, you know, out of this really weird number that I got. But um, but I would ask the directors, assistant directors, if I could hang out and watch the camera. Like, because they would send everyone away. Like, okay, all the extras go back to your holding area and get a snack. And instead of doing that, I would ask if I could stay next to the camera and just watch. You know, I was a kid. They didn't care. They were like, fine, snips, just don't talk to anyone and stand to the side. So I would stand there and watch the directors and the producers and the actors kind of all interact and do their thing. And I was very inspired by it, you know? And, and uh, what happened next? How did you start to kind of, well, I don't want to, I don't want to, we could be here all day telling you my story about how I got into show business, but I'll, let me try to truncate it. So um, next I, so I, I, I enjoyed the work for a minute and then I, um, and then I decided I wanted to be a tour guide at Universal Studios. So I went down the freeway to Universal and auditioned. 
And I got the job to uh, train to be a, a universal studios tour guide. So I did that for about six weeks and eventually, you know, kind of just got bored with that. And, um, it's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. And I went back to extras, but by that time, I sort of had known what I was doing, and I volunteered at a company uh, helping answer phones. And one day, it was the weirdest thing, again, sort of circumstance. They're like, they're, I can hear them on the phone with somebody going like this movie, and it's called Three Amigos, and we're shooting it in Arizona, and I need someone tomorrow because, you know, we're, we're, we have a casting, casting call of thousands and, uh, you know, there's a, there's, um, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and anyway, they turn over to me and they, they put kind of hold the phone and they turn over to me and they're like, hey, Mark, what are you doing? Uh, are you available to go to Arizona to work on this film called Three Amigos? And I said, yes. And I couldn't believe it, right? I, I don't think I've been on a plane uh, very many times at that point. And I was like, sure. So like on that, the next day I was on a plane to Arizona and I worked on Three Amigos for like four months. Okay, so as you were saying, so your first experiences were as an actor. Yeah, so then, yeah, so then I did this whole thing and I, I well, they were, yeah, <laughs> acting, sort of acting. I mean, I wanted to be an actor, you know, I just didn't get, you know, I didn't get that that opportunity. And to be honest, I had to be honest with myself, right? So I was doing this extras work and I had been in plays and I definitely had this, I definitely had a confidence issue, right? Where I was confident and, and I just thought, I thought the world worked that if you wanted to do something, you just kind of did it, right? So I thought, oh, I'm going to be an actor because I'm going to be an actor. That's why, you know, not, not because I'm going to train, not because I'm going to, you know, go, uh, go to school to figure it out. So as I was doing this extras work for all this time, and as I, you know, I got my SAG card, I got lines every once in a while. I worked on a couple of series. It's a Living. They put me on as a regular busboy. I would go to that every week. I worked on that for like three seasons. And, and it was interesting because I think at some point I did take some acting lessons. And I started to realize that in my acting lessons, I was very impressed with the actors that I was in class with. So I started to notice that I was more impressed with others than I was in myself. And I started to realize I wasn't a very good actor and that I really didn't have any craft. Like I didn't know at all how to 
uh, create a scene. I didn't know what the characters really meant. You know, I, I wasn't like somehow like my mind didn't work properly to be an actor. I couldn't quite figure it out. So I really quit early on. I figured out, oh yeah, I'm not a very good actor. I'm not going to be good at cold readings. I'm not, this is like not the life for me. This is not for me. So I, so I shifted into wanting to be a producer very quickly. Um, you know, probably when I was 26, 27, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to be an actor. I, I think I'm, I'm going to stay in the business, but I think producing is what I want to do. And I worked with amazing producers, Dan Ellingham, and I worked with uh, Ian Sander, rest in peace. Uh, and my experience with those producers, because they kept hiring me over and over again to do their extras on their movies, because I eventually became an extras casting director, which is really funny. I went from extras to extras casting director. Uh, after I did Three Amigos, uh, because on Three Amigos, I was assisting, right, uh, the extras. I was casting them. Not I wasn't an extra. I was casting them. And as a result of being an extras casting director, I left that show, and people started calling me to do their show. So I ended up opening my own company called the Extras Casting Company that I did. I, I started doing that work my, myself. So I had two phones in my living room and I would, you know, cast people um, in, you know, in shows in television shows and films. And, you know, I started doing that for a living. But in that work, uh, like I said, I met Ian Sanders. I met uh, Dan Allingham. I met all these great producers that inspired me. And I said, I want to be like those guys. I want to do what they do. And as a result of that, I, I started going, I, I got into the producing business, which was raising money, you know, because I wasn't educated, because I didn't go to um, USC film school and I didn't have a clear path. Um, my path had to be that I had to raise my own money for my own stories. Um, and as a result, I ended up, you know, my, my career, my young career as a producer you know, I spent uh, I spent most I spent a lot of time raising money, and I raised about fifty million dollars for my own films over the past you know thirty years. What was your first production job? Um, you mean as a producer? Yes. Um, I the first thing I ever did I wrote myself with some high school buddies. We I want I wanted to do a show like Saturday Night Live which was a really bad idea, but uh, I wanted to do something like that. It was the only thing I kind of, uh, that, that I found fun. So I wrote this half hour show with some buddies and I met with, a, uh, you know, someone said, some girlfriend of mine said, Hey, I know a guy who wants to invest in film and television and he loves this. And, and I said, great. And I met with him and he invested $50,000 for me to do my first thing. And I did it. What was that called? It was, it was called Writer's Block. <laughs> is it, can we see it or is it available? No, it's not available. Thank God. I, I must have it somewhere. It was the word. It was absolutely horrible. I couldn't sell it, but it was, in, it was, it, it taught me a great lesson because it was the first thing I ever did. It was a half hour show. It was, some of it was okay, but for the most part, it was a very, very poorly put together project. But as a result of that, it's funny because you don't realize how bad something is when you're doing it. You know, you, you, you optimistically find the best in it, right? So even though it's a piece of garbage, uh, you somehow I thought it was pretty good. I don't, I, uh, maybe just the fact that I finished it and it happened 
made me feel like it had merit. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it did not, by the way. But I still rented a theater at the DGA, at the DGA uh, on, on Sunset. I still invited, you know, 500 people to see it. And the odd thing is that it was very bad, and most people agreed that it was very bad, but it, but it excited people that I was doing things. And I, I think I ended up raising money out of that show to do another movie. So I met investors through the process of showing my absolutely horrible uh, first attempt at, at doing a TV show. And uh, I don't know, somehow people believed in me anyway, so I was able to continue to do the work. What was your first big break? Well, I had a lot of big breaks, right? Because the world is magical um, in really bizarre ways. But um, the biggest, it's hard to say because I did so many movies in the early part of my career and I raised money and I found all of that to be very successful for me, right? I, if I wanted to raise, if I wanted to raise $200,000 or, you know, each time I raised money, I, um, I couldn't believe that I had raised it. You know, when I, I went from 200 to 800 to a million to 2 million to 3 million to 4 million to 5 million. And each time I, it's, you just think that it's a huge win. But, um, but I guess the biggest break I ever had in my young career was um, I had done a film. Well, the very first thing I did, the very first film I did, I guess, is called Plump Fiction. And it was a comedy loosely based on Tarantino movies. So we just made fun of anything Tarantino did. And it was called Plump Fiction. <coughs> and I remember we had, I, you know, my I, I had met a partner and her name was Lori David. And we had, um, we were looking for a group, a comedy troupe to do more comedy stuff. Just, just to remind you, I had just done that horrible half hour thing, right? So somehow I was sticking to that. Uh, so we were looking for a comedy troupe to do a comedy movie so that I could raise money for it. And we met this group of very funny stage actors. And we went to one of them and said, hey, we'd like you to write the script Plump Fiction. He was like, that's great, but I'm a, you know, I have a waiter job and I need it to pay my bills. And we're like, okay, well, how about if we pay you $500? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and he was like, okay, well, I could take a week off if you pay me $500. So he went in, a, in, in about a week, he wrote the script, Plump Fiction. And then we sent it out and we ended up getting an offer to make it uh, by Rhino Records. So Rhino Records, who was like sort of famous, they still are pretty famous for doing kind of niche uh, music. They wanted to get into film and we were the first film that they did. So that was kind of a big break because it was a film and there was, it was a big company and they had a lot of publicity. Uh, but then I went on to do a bunch of small films, some in Mexico, some here, uh, great actors. Um, you know, I worked on a thing called Poor White Trash, which was also a comedy uh, with Sean Young and uh, Bill Devane and Jamie Presley, you know, I was doing some kind of cool indies, you know, and I was starting to, to get recognized in the indie world, but I wanted to do something bigger. So if I really, really consider what my big break was, it was when 
I decided to call Comedy Central and ask them to give me the rights to Strangers with Candy, which was a series that was on Comedy Central for a while. And I said, and I remember calling Bill Hillary, who was the CEO at the time, and I was tracking him down. He wouldn't call me back. So I, I was tracking him down all over the United States, wherever he was. Finally, he picked up the phone. He goes, what do you want? I said, I want the rights to Strangers with Candy so I can make it into a movie. He was like, it's canceled. I said, that's, I, I know. I go, so what does it matter? He was like, you're right. It doesn't matter. You can have them. So I licensed the rights to Strangers with Candy to turn it into a movie. And I was trying, you know, I thought, oh, this is a no-brainer. Shouldn't be a problem. Um, but I was having a lot of trouble raising money for it. Even though I had Sarah Jessica Parker attached to it, Matthew Broderick was attached to it. It was written by Stephen Colbert and Amy Sedaris and Paul Donello. I had all these great people attached to it, but somehow I couldn't get them, anyone to put up the money. So one day I decided to make a call. My, my partner, Lori, said, hey, why don't you call David Letterman? She, he loves Amy Sedaris. He was, she was just on the show like Friday. And I remember saying to her, oh, my God, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. Like, I don't, we don't know anybody there. And Amy, you know, didn't really want us to call because she felt a little embarrassed about the whole thing. And anyway, I was so, I was so convinced it was a bad idea that I decided to make the phone call. So I called Worldwide Pants and left a message on a machine. Um, I'll never forget it. That was, that was a big deal. I called. I said, hey, it's Mark Roberts. I um I have the rights to Stranger with Candy the movie. We're looking for about three and a half million dollars. Just wondering if David Letterman would be interested. Um, call me back if you are. And I hung up and I said, there, I made the phone call. So about 20 minutes later, I get a call from Kelly Kolchak, who's working at Worldwide Pants. She goes, Hey, you just called about you know the movie uh, Strange with Candy. I said, Yeah. He, she said, Well, send me the script. So I sent her the script. She calls the next day and says, We I love it. I'm going to pass it on to Rob Burnett, who's, you know, um, David Letterman's guy. And uh, and let's see what he says. So she calls me back the very next day, which was now a Friday, and says, he loved it. We love it. We think it's great. We're going to give it to uh, David Letterman so he could read it over the weekend. And this was the crazy part, is I had been down that road before, where, like, everyone likes it, and they're now going to give it to the main person to read, and then you never hear back from them. So I was pretty sure that that was the end of the road. So Monday comes along and she calls and says, okay, so David read it. He says, it's hilarious, stupid, and we want to do this. So I jumped on a plane. It's so funny because I I still was pretty sure it was going to fall apart. So I remember calling Amy, Stephen, Paul, and saying, meet me at Dave Letterman's office on Broadway, you know, above uh, the... uh, at Sullivan Theater, on Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. <clears throat> this was Monday, they called. So they say, okay. I called Joseph Middleton, who was the casting director I knew, who had done American Pie, uh, Born Identity, um, uh, Go. He had done uh, the Born... He had done it all. Like He, he had done uh, all of the big movies at the time. So I call him and I say, you got to do me a favor. You got to jump on a plane with me on Wednesday, on Tuesday night. We got to go to New York to meet with these Letterman people because they're going to make the movie. So he's like, fine. So he, I, him and I jump on JetBlue and we go overnight. We show up at Letterman's office on Wednesday, kind of unannounced, right? Because they had said Monday they wanted to do it, but 
I, you know, I needed more than just, you know, the next month, two months of them decided not to do it. So everyone shows up there and they're like, oh, wow, hey guys. And the, and I and then I said, oh yeah, well, you guys said you were going to do the movie. So I just figured we'd show up and say hello and figure out where we're going to have our offices. And anyway, it all worked out. You know, they ended up funding the movie. We made it. And then when we were done with the movie, we submitted to Sundance Film Festival and got accepted. So now... We've got, you know, I've got David Letterman as my executive producer funding the movie where we've been accepted to the Sundance Film Festival. And it's, you know, and it's the biggest thing that had ever happened in my little life at that point. So everything was roses at, on that on that year. I think it was 19, I'm sorry, 2005. And here you are a Chicano from East L.A. that didn't go to college, but you're hanging out with David Letterman. Yeah, it's well, I mean, I don't know about hanging out with David Letterman, but his company was definitely do it. I mean, we definitely I met him a couple of times, but he was, you know, he was busy making millions of dollars on his show, but he was uh, he was the executive producer and he did make notes on everything. You know, I had I had a lot of his staff on the movie. Kelly Kolchek was on it. We had uh, an executive uh, that was a producer there. We had uh, Fred Nigro, who was his money guy, who, by the way, I'm still friends with. Um, uh, we just had lunch. We're going to go play golf. But, you know, a lot of people from his staff were working on the film. Rob Burnett was, you know, producing and also giving writers suggestions. We ended up getting Sarah Jessica Parker, Matthew Broderick. Oh, my God. Sir Ian Holm was in it. Uh, Chris Pratt. At the very beginning of his career, he was in it. Um, we had, um, gosh, we had so many great people in there. But, um, but yeah, it was a dream come true. And yeah, it, it, I, I never, it never dawned on me uh, how important it was to my future to do something significant. You know, I think, um, I think, you know, I, I try to. I, I try to impart this into to, to other Latino, uh, Chicano um, producers and directors and actors. Not you know not not all of us have hangups about it, but I try to say, look, the only thing holding us back is the idea that we can't do it. Right at the end of the day, you know, we can do anything as long as you believe, and and somehow if you tell stories that you know, are commercial or fit into a certain category, then you're going to get accepted to a Sundance Film Festival or David Letterman or someone like that's going to decide to do to do a project. And, uh, and it's just going to happen. But I think, you know, we sell ourselves short a little bit. You know, I wanted to talk to about, about this on, my, uh, on the podcast I have um, because it's this idea that we don't play all out, right? I was playing all out when I played called Letterman. I think I was held back by the idea that it couldn't happen in my mind. That was like such a long shot. It made no sense. And it ended up being the one thing that made the most sense and the one thing that worked. So I think the the thing I, I, I think about most about my career and about the careers of others coming up, especially if you're from you know, uh, East Los Angeles or, or places like it, like Chula Vista, where Mario Lopez is from, or, you know, these, these places where us Chicanos come out of, but we don't really believe that it's possible a lot of times, you know? Like, you don't play all out because you don't really think it can happen. And I think the only thing that changed my life was playing all out was doing anything and making any phone call and trying all avenues to get projects made 
without prejudice, right? Like I couldn't, the, the problem is, is that you tend to prejudice your, your, who you're going to contact. Oh, I'm not going to contact that person because this is, you got all these reasons why you shouldn't make the call or you, all these reasons why you shouldn't take the meeting or all these reasons why it's not going to happen or they don't like this person, they don't like that person, therefore I'm probably not going to be liked. I think that's the biggest barrier that I was able to uh, overcome. And then my life became more about making the phone calls that I didn't, you know, making phone calls I didn't, or making phone calls, setting meetings, pitching projects, having conversations that I, instead of defeating the conversation before I had it, I started picking more complicated and difficult people to call. Uh, And, and I realized that that's where the magic in the world is. It's in jumping off, you know, throwing your hat over the fence and going to get that rather than always dropping your hat closest to where you can get it, which is like, oh, uh, how much money do you need for that movie? Oh, I need 10 grand instead of saying a million or instead of saying 10 million, right? You're saying, oh, I need 200,000. <laughs> and you yourself make your, make, make your world small, right? So I think, uh, I think my big break showed me a lot because uh, I started to realize, you know, it's not about who's doing it. It's about what you're doing <laughs> and how you're pitching it and what the, what the plan is, right? Me associating myself with Stephen Colbert and Amy Sedaris and, and these guys and Paul Danello and David Letterman <clears throat> opened up the floodgates to, uh, to actors like Allison Janney and Surian Holm and Sergis Parker and Matthew Broderick and all these guys that didn't necessarily want to work with me but wanted to work in the project that I had put together. And that's a big, that, that's the big break in my mind is I started to realize that, you know, don't say no, just make the call. Like the worst thing that can happen is that it doesn't work out. But if you don't make the call, you'll never know. Um, and stop playing small. Why not ask for, you know, reasonably, right? I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go to PBS and say, like, I need $10 million because that's a $50,000 store. Right? You know, if you're doing a documentary with PBS, it's 50 grand. So I think you got to be realistic. But at the same time, shoot for the moon. You know, jump into the deep end. Go for it, you know, uh, and mix that up with the little stuff you're doing. Like, there's got to be big and big and little and, and all types of, of, of things there. But I did Strangely with Candy. We went to Sundance. We were a darling you know, if I'm honest, I felt like I should have been being hired by everybody at that point without going out and doing anything. I felt like I was just going to lay back and put my feet up and they were going to bring me a margarita and the, the, and Hollywood's gates were going to open up to me. And that did not happen. <laughs> it was just as hard to do what I did next than it was to do that movie. So, uh, so that's the other piece of advice I would say I'd give people is, uh, you know, it's not going to get easier. It's just going to get different. What story are you most proud of that you've been able to tell through your production work? Well, I feel like, and this has been a recent, um, this has been a recent uh, thing for me. Realization. It's been a recent realization that I am a product of my upbringing, right? I am my my comedy, my my business acumen, my my vocabulary, my um, 
my, um, my pitching, my salesmanship, all came from my mom and my brothers, right? They were very funny. They made me laugh. They were lighthearted. They had um, a can-do attitude. And I, and I got that from them, you know? And a few years ago, five years ago, I, you know, Mario Lopez and I started really digging deep into our history, right? And really trusting the idea that Chicanos are funny, that Cholos are kind of funny, uh, and not in a negative way, in a really positive way, you know, in a way that you're like, that vernacular doesn't exist in Mexico. So let's use it. If we find it funny, that means that other American people are going to find it funny. And I mean American white people, right? Like, they are not going to not laugh at just because someone has a cholo type vernacular, right? Or, or, or just because someone has got an accent, right? So we started sort of leaning into stories that meant something to us. Like we worked on a, a series called The Expanding Universe of Ashley Garcia at Netflix. We did two seasons of it. It was about a young girl. <clears throat> who graduates high school early and becomes a rocket scientist at 14, goes to work at NASA, and, uh, and about her sort of struggles with being a teenager and being, um, and being a kid, you know? I'm sorry, her struggles with being a kid, a teenager, and also being a genius. So those were two things that we thought could really be fun together, right? Like, let's make a Latina super, like a genius, Let's make her a genius, but give her kid problems, you know? So that was a big, big break uh, in, in a sense. And, and I think we went on to do Feliz Navidad, uh, which was a Latino story about a Latino dad who, you know, kind of loses his way, loses the spirit of Christmas because he lost his wife and gets it all back because something that Mario and I had in common was and I think a lot of people, a lot of dads have this in common. Excuse me, is that a lot of times your kids, you know, you'll introduce your kids to a song when they're little, and they'll misinterpret the words, right? And so, one of the things that we thought about Feliz Navidad is in our story in the movie, the little girl at the end of the movie says, "Look, Dad, I never knew that Feliz Navidad had to do with Christmas." I thought it was about you. I thought it was about Feliz Navidad. She goes, so my celebration of Christmas was about you. So we took something Latino, turned it into a story that was very familiar to lots of dads and continue to do that. So I think to my long-winded answer to your question is what I'm most proud of is my ability to turn and look at my life as a Chicano as a Mexican-American, and use that as the basis for the stories that I tell, the characters that I knew, the things that I find funny, my stupid brothers making stupid jokes that I now use in my movies, um, a lot of storylines I pull out of there. And I'm also very proud of the journey that I had in terms of accepting the concept that as a Mexican-American, uh, I don't have to be disappointed in the idea that I'm not more Mexican. Amazing. And what an illustrious career you have had. I, I could talk to you all day and <laughs> I have the opportunity to talk to you all day. 
Make sure to turn into Mark's podcast, tune into Mark's podcast. Let's get into it where he really talks about the ins and outs of the Hollywood industry and uh, how he has achieved a monumental level of success. Oh, 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 maybe not monumental, but thank uh, you. Monumental to me, brother. <laughs> thank you for joining us on Healing with Dr. George, The Power of Chicano Latinx Art. Please continue to tune into our series as we explore the themes of self and community healing through Chicano Latinx art. Also, don't forget to visit the website www.latinoarte.com in order to view the beautiful array of Chicano Latinx art that is available to add to your own collection. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.